0: Hello and welcome to episode seventeen of Who to Be a podcast. I am your host Raj Baines, and joining me in the—I was going to call it a studio, then, it's not. It's a—it's a spare room at the back of in the, the green office. Closet. Yeah, that we've repurposed into a studio. Uh, is the lovely Rory Benson? Rory, how are you?
1: I'm very well. How are you? I'm not too bad.
0: Um, today we're going to be doing something a bit, bit, bit different. Obviously, international break. There's not much for us to talk about on a town front. No real club news. No games to reflect on or anything. We've all pretty much caught up with that. There's no press conferences or anything. Everyone's sort of having a bit of downtime, training that sort of thing. So we're going to do the mailbag today, which is you know it seems to have gone well. People are sending questions, so we might keep on doing these. Uh, further down the line but essentially we've asked people to send in questions for us to answer anything off the top of their heads that they want to we've noted down some of the more interesting some of the best ones and uh we'll crack on through them so it's uh i believe it's what they call crowdsourcing in the industry isn't
1: it yeah i think so i'm really excited actually i'm excited to to hear what what fans want us to talk about and what what questions they have, that kind of thing. So we'll do our best to answer. Yeah,
0: well, we're not promising too much, but you know, we'll muddle through. I think people have have, uh, have got the concept of this podcast is just us two in a room muddling through as best we can, and
1: <laughs> then talking about beer for five minutes. Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably people's favorite part. Um, before we start the questions, are we're around a fifth of the season through now? Eight, was it six games, six, seven, games seven games, or now, yeah. Aren't we? Yeah. So uh, given this thirty-eight game season, it's about a fifth, I think. Uh, there's a reason we do words and not maths. So, um, how do we feel at the minute? Is there any concerns or are no, we I quite think, happy?
1: I think we're pretty pretty happy with the the points all at the minute, and I'm pretty happy with the performances as well. So, yeah, there's obviously some some tougher tests to come. Um, Tottenham was a bit of a, a downer, but you know you're always going to get beaten by those sorts of teams, and if you if you get a point, you know that's massive bonus. So, no, I think. At, If you'd asked me before the season, if if I thought, you know, would I have taken this, I would have said yes.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we've talked about the fact that perhaps there's been some drop points in the Leicester game, particularly, especially given the poor refereeing to cost them three points. And the Southampton game as well, I think Town could have quite happily won that one as well. West Ham game slightly, I think the West Ham game's even more disappointing than the Tottenham one for me, not just because I'm a
1: you know, the, the performance was low. Yeah,
0: that's the worst performance of the season. Um, but I think, you know, given all the factors we talked about, their standard of football and the fact that I don't think town were quite expecting to be playing a championship game in the Premier League this season, um, you know, you can just pretty much write that one off.
1: Yeah, I think as well, sort of linking back to last season, there were a couple where town were below par. I think probably Fulham was at a similar time in the season, Um but town sort of picked themselves back up and got back to it. And you know that you are gonna have those you can't you can't be at hundred percent every game, no matter how good you are. So uh, you know, you know, we we write that one off and go the next week.
0: We're probably in agreement that the best player so far this season has been Christopher Schindler. Um Aaron not too far behind, but I think in terms of standouts, Schindler's head and shoulders above at present.
1: Yeah, with with four clean sheets, you you can't look past Christopher Schindler, really. He's been phenomenal, and even in the games where town haven't been that great, you know, he kept Andy Andy Carroll quiet um, at the London Stadium, and he played reasonably well against arguably the best striker in the league against Tottenham as well, so he, he's by far, I think he's won the Blue and White Foundation Player of the Month twice in a row now, absolutely deserved, um, but yeah, as you said, Aaron is not too far behind Jonas Lossell definitely deserves a mention, he's been really good as well, so...
0: Slight wobble against Spurs.
1: Slight wobble, look, probably you would say the miss kick was a wobble but he did well to recover uh he got beaten at his front post for the first goal but seven games in new keeper to the premier league especially a keeper coming from europe to the premier league i think i think you can be very happy with his with his string of performances so uh yeah no it's 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 been good um and hopefully they can keep it going keep the ball rolling into uh, the next few weeks
0: how are we feeling about the boss as well this season cuz who's obviously probably the standout manager in the Championship last season, put in context of achievements. I don't, you know, Newcastle fans like Rafa Benitez, but he wasn't working with Huddersfield's budget and, you know, he didn't spring as much of a surprise as as Wagner did. This year, obviously, standard of managers in the Premier League is obviously higher. The complexity of the coaching and the tactics is a a different level, even with the, the lesser teams that Huddersfield have played so far. There's a step above what, is in the championship most yeah. of the time, um, but he seems to have acquitted himself fairly well. His his ideology and his system seems to be working fairly well. There's one or two little teething problems that perhaps he needs to work his way around, but other than that, been been fine.
1: Yeah, he's you know he's he's sort of come in and he's a, he's a Premier League manager now, and it's it's like he's been there all his life, really. So, you know, I'd put him for the start of the season. You've got to put him in probably the top five managers. But then the
0: month for August as well.
1: Exactly, but if you look at the managers that he's up against as well, to say he's in the top five, you know <laughs> Mourinho and Guardiola are up there because they've had fantastic starts. But look at the players they're working with, look at yeah. the budgets they're working with. Um, Sean Dyche, I'd say, is probably up there as well. He's had a really good start with Burnley, um, but I'd still probably put David Wagner higher in, in terms of not only what he's done, but in terms of sort of the club's success. I think people. Although Burnley have had a tough start and got points against some really tough teams. Uh I feel like people expected Burn a bit more from Burnley, whereas Town people expected, you know, sort of a derby of was it 2006 derby picked up yeah. nine points or something. I think people are expecting 11. That from town. Yeah. So um no, no, it's it's been an exceptional start for for manager and players and you know, let's let's hope it continues.
0: We've both been fairly forthright in saying that we don't think town will go down. I don't think either of us has changed his minds on that, but Are there any lingering relegation fears given that the league seems to be tightening back up with teams further down the league picking up points by Crystal Palace and Huddersfield have have not been winning games as regularly as they were at the start of the season?
1: I think for everyone associated with town you're going to worry until they're mathematically safe. That's just the way football works. That's just how a football fan's mind works. Um, I don't think they will go down still. That doesn't mean to say that they're definitely not because you know, who knows. I think there are at least five teams in the league who I don't think are as good as them or have, you know, and it, it gives you such a boost that you've got, you know, probably a top half manager at least as well at the helm. So I think they'll be fine. Um, you just hope, you know, that, that they can keep picking up wins at different stages and, you know, they're not having to rely on a big run at the end because obviously they've they've got that that four-game run of... Is it Chelsea, Everton, City and Arsenal, which is, you know, you want to be around 38 to 42 points at that point before you go into those last four games. So who knows? Um, we'll see. But f- for me, I'm reasonably confident that, that they'll be fine this season.
0: Forgot a question one, it comes via Twitter from Michael Rogers, you sent us a link to the BBC's relegation season predictor thing where yeah. they put everyone in league table before the season started the BBC had Huddersfield predicted 20th which is a joke after seven games they've upped their prediction to 19th I think they've given town two more points um who's Boston at, Palace and Palace probably yeah I didn't look too far past what they put for Huddersfield I don't think there's any use in doing so um but he Michael Rogers wanted to know um what do we make of sort of that prediction what do we make of the overall sort of feeling towards town from the start of the season to now
1: um I think to be fair it was it's one that we expected when they went up and it's one that now even if they've only you know even if people are still predicting town to go down it's one that I think town fans and us don't mind people saying that because you know say that as much as you want we'll see at the end of the season sort of thing and I think town, are better when they've got the backs against the wall, when they're being portrayed as the underdogs. And I think, you know, they'll they'll accept that. If they see that, if David Wagner saw that prediction, I think he would probably take it into the dressing room and just say, look, this is where people think we are. Let's go and prove some people wrong. So, you know, I, I for people, for especially national sort of outlets to, to yeah. say, our town are going to finish 19th, I don't give that any credence really. Um, what I would give credence, more credence to is, teams who town have played their fans going away and saying no oh, you know what they've actually got something going there they they're actually playing pretty pretty good football um and i think halfway through the season i expect town to be around 14th 15th and i think then the bbc and the, those sort of outlets will will then think actually yeah town can can stay up so you know it is one of them. I think in terms of my prediction at the start of the season, I pre- I predicted fifteenth. Um, I'm not going to change that. I think they might predict uh, they might finish higher, but I'm not I'm not going to tempt fate or anything like that. I'll keep it at fifteenth because I'd be very happy. Be Nobody's very turning their nose up, so. up at fifteenth, though. Yeah, I exactly.
0: Um, I'd agree with you. I, I I actually think it's sort of it's quite funny how they don't seem to have caught on to the fact that Huddersfield are a lot better than. They assumed they would be. There's almost you can almost forgive them before the season started because you you know they won't have watched that much of town last year. They won't have known too much about David Wagner other than he's Jurgen Klopp's best mate, which is the line that everybody seems to be still obsessed with for for some reason, even though he's a fantastic manager in his own right and it's probably doing better than his mate is this season um if you put both their achievements in context. Um, I'm with you. I think it doesn't really matter. One of the things that has started to come into um, some of the reviews and some of the the talk around Huddersfield from you know, third-party outlets and whatnot is there's this weird idea that Huddersfield are a rough team, that they kick uh, people a lot. They've they they they've said this quite often. It happened a lot in the lead-up to the Tottenham game. Obviously, I was paying a lot of attention on both sides as, as to what people were saying ahead of that. Um And a lot of the people um, from a neutral perspective were sort of saying Tottenham should be careful because they might get kicked about up there. And that seems to be a really weird, um, you know, lack of respect for what the football is that Huddersfield play because their intent when they defend is not a million miles away from what Tottenham's is or Manchester City's is or even Manchester United's, Chelsea's. It's high pressing and turning the ball over rapidly and it may be aggressive in a tent, and sort of how they go about what they're doing, but it's not overly physical. It's not as if, you know, they're going in with the, you know, the wants to put reducers in or hurt people. I don't think it helped on the opening day of the season that Wilfred Zaha got hurt and people sort of thought that's how they're going to go about it. They'll, you know, find your best player and try and break his leg, which isn't what happened with Zaha in the slightest. I mean, they may have been slightly rough with him, but it wasn't
1: excessive in my opinion. I don't think it was being rough with him as well. I think it was... They, you know, they saw him as the best player, so they wanted to close down the room, you know, as quickly as possible. And they may have been a bit overzealous in in sort of going in for that tackle. But it wasn't that they were being firm; it was that they were being quick to him. And I think when you're a player like Zaha who likes to get the ball and turn immediately, to have someone behind you straight away and putting that leg out, it might, you know, you might get caught. But it's not it's not from Town going in hard; it's from them going in quick to try and close down that space to stop him from turning uh, and and to to stop their best player because that's you know Wilfred yeah. Tire is is their best player and you know I think that's been proved with uh, Crystal Palace's la- next six games
0: yeah i mean that's um It's just one of those things that I've picked up on that seems to have got under my skin for for definite because I think it's a a blatant misrepresentation of what Huddersfield do. Um, And I think there's people buying into it just because perhaps because they're northern side, because they're unfashioned, because uh, people have seen the negative goal difference and all that sort of thing. And the good defence, it's almost as if they're being sold as Allardyce as Bolton when they're a far more sophisticated football team than than what that was at its sort of infancy. Um, so that's one thing that sort of feeds into that 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 I've become aware of but other than that I think some people are, are starting to um, give them more credit um, you know, I, listen, I listen to a few other general football podcasts and whatnot, and they seem to give Huddersfield a bit more respect when they're talking about them in terms of relegation mm. I think most people are cotton on to the fact that there's more there are worse teams in the division than Huddersfield and enough to be so that town should be fairly safe so I don't think that's a concern at all. Um, if we move on to question two, which again comes via Twitter, which most of them do today, uh, from Paul Jacobs. He says, having watched Town struggle on big pitches at Wembley uh, in the playoff final and the London Stadium against West Ham, does the Wagner philosophy struggle on larger playing surfaces?
1: I would argue that Town didn't struggle at Wembley. Um I think they had enough chances to win that game. You know, Izzy Brown went wide, Heffler went wide with a header in the first minute. I thought they were probably the better team and deserved to win it on the day. Obviously, it went to penalties, but, you know, it's the playoff final. It's kind of... uh, Now you see so many more games at Wembley going to sort of penalty shootouts or being won by one goal because people don't want to lose because they're always big games. Um, I also... Wembley weirdly isn't that bigger pitch it looks really big because the the tier the tier, the way the the seats are tiered it just looks bigger because it's wider uh, i think i read something about tottenham not being able to play at wembley and someone was saying that oh the pitch is just miles bigger it's not it's about a meter bigger longer than the white hart lane pitch but white hart lane just felt so much smaller because the the seating was more tiered Um, so you kind of had more of an aerial view and you could see it a bit sort of, you could see the other side easily easier. So I would, I would say that Wembley isn't a massive pitch compared to the Johnson Stadium, it might be a bit bigger. Um, the London stadium, again, you're about like 30, 40 meters away from the actual pitch anyway. So I think it feels bigger than it is. I wouldn't say, you know, town weren't at their best there, but then if you look at Craven Cottage last season, pretty small pitch, um, and Town just got absolutely destroyed. Um, so I wouldn't say it's anything about the size of the pitch. I just think it's, you know, game by game. You take it as it comes, and occasionally Town aren't at their best.
0: I would say about the, the turf at Wembley is that it is quite notoriously heavy, um, and that there are players who say that playing there, both mentally and physically, is a strain because they've always had problems with the grass there. Yeah. And, you know, you're touch on Tottenham's record there's clearly something different about playing at that ground whether it's medical not medical mental or physical it may be medical in (laughs) Tottenham's case I'm not entirely sure Uh, I'd love to know but um, I think there is some credence in it um, because there are there have been players in, in past years that have spoken about pitch sizes in either way to say, oh, some pitches are too big or some pitches are too small. You know, before Tottenham got good at White Hart Lane, I remember Moussa Dembele under Villa boas I think, saying that the pitch at White Hart Lane too small. You know, last season when they didn't lose there, nobody was complaining about the size of the pitch. So maybe yeah. it's something that's a bit of an excuse, something to fall back on. Um, familiarity is definitely a, a huge factor. Um, they know the pitch at the John Smiths inside out. They know the... The peripheral vision, they know what they'll see, everything there's a reason why home teams have an advantage. It's not just because fans are in the ground, it's because you know yeah. home players know that area more um and I think that's definitely something that feeds into um performances as well so it's not something i would I would put too much um emphasis on, although I think it can be uh a secondary factor rather than a primary one so I don't think it's a, a ludicrous thing to pick up but if if it's something that continues then it may be something that um that you go with but the other the flip side to that is the bigger pitches tend to be at the bigger stadiums which tend to be homes of the bigger teams so if you get if you you know if you, you cop a beating away against City, United, Arsenal and Chelsea maybe the correlation isn't the size of the pitch and Size yeah. of the bank balance—it's just one of those things where you you want to be careful of not making a false equivalency. So
1: I think maybe we'll see then against someone like Liverpool or Chelsea, who who play on you know what seem like smaller pitches or what might easily be smaller pitches, um, to see if the if the pressing can work when you're playing against someone like you know Sadio Mane or, or Eden Hazard on that perceived smaller pitch rather than the likes of I'm not sure who but. You know, like Harry Kane or Delhi Alley on on the Wembley pitch.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes sense to me. The the flip side of that is um if Huddersfield are suddenly, you know, the best team in the league when they go away to Bournemouth and they're yeah, exactly. eleven thousand seater, you know, that's you know, we'll see if that's the you know, the the thinking works the other way around, so to speak. Uh question three comes from JSH who doesn't have his full name on Twitter, but we'll we'll let you have the mystery. Um, do you feel Town are in a realistic position for survival compared to previous relegated teams from the Premier League and their points tallies, squads, etc.?
1: That is an interesting interesting question. Well done, JSH. I like that one. <laughs> um, it's, when teams go up, they always seem to start well, especially if they have a bit of a different footballing philosophy. So someone like Blackpool who came up and and sort of lit up the league, really, at the start by playing really aggressive attacking football.
0: Hull the first time.
1: Hull the first time as well. They seem to do really well in the first half of the season and then drop off. Swansea and Southampton, I think, are the two standard bearers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would say, although Town, I think, are harder to work out than maybe Blackpool were when they first came up, I would say you would still want to be above maybe 25 points come Christmas time, come maybe the turn of the year, because I think it does get harder on that stretch and when you've got teams with Premier League experience, such as Crystal Palace last season, it looked like they'd probably go down for a bit um, when they were sort of in that relegation scrap around Christmas but I think their Premier League experience shone through and that's why maybe the likes of Hull who were doing okay, ended up dropping out of the league, because they don't I don't know what it is it's just having having that Premier League experience is probably is a bigger thing than maybe people make out so I would say if you can get to 25 points at Christmas or New Year you'd be doing okay and I'd back down to, to get 15 more maybe if we're still saying 40 points is that sort of target I, I, I think 25 at Christmas really. I
0: think with relegation is every season there seems to be one team that uh, are given their time of death and c- come back from it yeah you know, we've seen that year before Leicester won the league, it was um Sunderland have done it countless times, Crystal Palace done it a couple of times, that year under Pulis was an obvious example. And then on the you know, the other end there's one team that have, you know, said would be safe and then they free fall. Newcastle have done it a couple of times. Okay, um me. yeah, they've whole that one of the seasons, Blackpool are another example. So you just need to be careful of sort of making sure you maintain a certain level of form throughout. You don't want to peak and then trough or, you know, trough and then peak because, you know, you'd leave yourself a certain amount of problems. Yeah. You'd rather be one in two winning games all the way through the season than go ten games without having won, in, having yeah. won one because that's when you start getting in real trouble. So as long as town maintains some level of consistency, I don't think there's... um there's too much issues
1: there. Yeah. What would you say about their start then? Do you think that they've given themselves a decent enough start to stay up?
0: More than, more than, Um, especially with some of the teams around them and Mm. especially with the games they've played. Um, As I say, the only ones that, you know, if if it starts getting a bit tighter towards the end of the year, maybe we will start making more out of that Leicester and Southampton game. There's not too much you can say about the West Ham one, I don't think. Um, The, Tottenham ones are right off um, and there are just certain games like that where you have to take them on chin and go you know what yeah. never in a million ge- years we, would we have won that game um, because of many things and finances and talent and all that are, are just things you can't catch up on I mean the top teams in the Premier League at the moment are trying to get themselves even more TV money to make that gap even bigger so it's not as if (laughs) it's going to be getting easier anytime soon so I think they have done fantastically in the context especially with how widely they were written off and you know how little time they had to prepare we've made a lot about how good that summer was but given the start to the season I think that's you know borne out in fact as well so They've given themselves as good a platform now as they could have done. There's one or two ones you can be slightly, you know, particular about, but other than that, I don't think anyone can be too, too
1: yeah. upset. What well, one thing I would say is that it's still it's still very early days. Um, obviously, this the start that Town of had has been really good, but it's still very tight. You know, Town are on eight nine points now, aren't they? Um, but Crystal Palace, who haven't won a game, are on zero. That that's not a big swing to to, you know, to bring Palace back into it. I think the second bottom team have got four points. I think that's Bournemouth. Um so it's it's still very condensed. And I don't think we can really although the start's been being great, I don't think we can really start judging and sort of seeing who's going to be down there until maybe another seven games into the season. I think fourteen games will give us a bit more of a, a flavour about who's going to be down there at the end. But then as you say there is always one team who goes on a mad run and then there's always one team who plummets. So, you know, we'll see where we are in seven, seven uh, games time and maybe we do another mailbag episode and, uh, and answer that again.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see next. There's not a Wednesday next in National Break March, is it, or something?
1: March, but there is also a week in November where there isn't a game at the weekend.
0: And that might be a, a time for a mailbag in a month. We'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves yet, though. This could be an absolute shambles. <laughs> <laughs> um, question four comes from Paul Walker via Twitter. Not the Fast and the Furious guy, I don't think. Uh, rest we, in peace. Rest in peace, yeah. We've not got our Ouija board out, but uh, a different Paul Walker. Uh, hopefully he's got as exotic a car collection as the other Paul yeah. Walker. If you do, Paul invited around me and Rory will yeah. enjoy uh, taking a step away from our Volkswagens for <laughs> an afternoon. <laughs> um... Do we need to be a bit quieter in our praise of Schindler in case some other club tries to put in a massive bid for him?
1: No, I don't (laughs) think so. I mean, I I love praising Christopher Schindler because he's just a great defender and I'm pretty much going against your question already, so just go for it. But I think talent shines through in the Premier League anyway. I think... I don't know how many scouts are going to listen to the Huddersfield Examiner's podcast um, and that kind of stuff. I think they will be looking at him anyway. And the scouting system that that now works uh, across sort of Premier League clubs is I th- all clubs really look at the same players because of the scouting system. It's all online. It's all sort of that network. And quite a lot of scouts, you know, if you're actually scouting a player, you're looking at you're looking at sort of uh, data that everyone that is free and available to everyone and then as soon as you think well maybe we'll look at him that's when you send your scout so I think everyone's looking at similar players anyway. I think if Christopher Schindler keeps putting up the numbers he is, that will sort of bring him to the attention of quite a lot of clubs. And then you know after that it's the case of which clubs want to send specific scouts, if any. So I don't think it'll make much difference whether we praise him or not. I think his performances will make the difference I hope he stays at Huddersfield Town, but, you know, if he keeps doing what he is doing this season, you know, you can't blame him for going to, you know, a massive club, which could easily happen.
0: He came to a club for 1.6 million, and I think Town will, without even trying, get over 10 times that if anyone is to come in for him.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if if they try and tie him down to a longer-term contract. Yeah. And then, you know, be able to ask whatever they want to ask for him.
0: It'll be an interesting thing if Town do stay up this year which we obviously both uh, we we think they will it'll be another summer where I think the core of the side will again be offered new deals because there'll Mm be teams who will have cottoned on to the fact that you know Aramoy is far better than people have given credit for in the past
1: I I think uh, Christopher Schindler signed a deal over the summer but I wouldn't be surprised if he signs another deal maybe next summer or something like that Well a
0: lot of clubs do it a lot of clubs constantly renewing their highest talent because they want to make sure that not only are they're being fairly you know uh, remunerated for their yeah. value to the club but if they are to be sold then the club will be you know compensated for the talent they're losing so it's a as sensible in a footballing manner as it is in a business one and Having spoke to Dean Hoyle about business and asset management and things like that is something he's very aware of and, and on top of. Um he won't be shy about giving people new deals if he feels that's the that's in the best interest of the mm-hmm. club. So um I'm not too sure, like you say, that you know, giving him praise is is gonna be too much for him because we've praised David Wagner constantly, we've praised the club constantly, we've you know said, you know, things about almost everyone positively, but you know the BBC still got Huddersfield going down 19th, so it's not as if the mainstream are, are clocking on too much as yet. Yeah. Um. It may be in this little town bubble that we have and everything. Christopher Schindler's obviously gone from cult hero status to legendary status overnight, and it's continuing to do so with every passing game, and rightfully so. But you know, I wouldn't be too shy of praising him because, um, you know, sometimes there are players that come to your club and if you spend more time fretting about them staying you forget to enjoy them while they're there and if it yeah. there does come a time where Schindler does move on um I'm sure he'll do so with good grace I'm sure he'll do so with good reason it, it won't as if won't be as if he's going to uh Bournemouth or you know Aston Villa or something he won't be going to he won't be making a sideways move if he's to leave Huddersfield he will be going to a, a significantly larger side with, you know, a significant reason why it'll be Europa League team or, or even higher, perhaps. Um, you know, I don't see any reason why a club the size of Everton wouldn't want him, or, you know, West Ham with their vast resources, the appeal of living in London maybe and having his wages trebled, I'm not sure. But you know, that size of a club um would be you know, something that I can imagine being tempted by.
1: Possibly. I wouldn't say West Ham is is that Big of a club, no, just no, no. Just, I mean, I know I'm gonna But they, they have, they have the, fans now. But
2: oh, I,
0: I,
1: I think if he was going to go somewhere, I think it would be European football because I think he's good enough to do that. I think uh, one of the Merseyside clubs, being Everton or Liverpool.
0: Do I you think, think Klopp would buy from Wagner?
1: Yeah, why not?
0: Do you not think that's a, an awkward one over dinner?
1: Uh, well, no. I think we're coming for your best centre back here. Uh, <laughs> what I think will mean. It will mean is that they'll get a fair price for him. I think, you know, with, having a relationship there means that David Wagner can say, "Well, you know, I'm not going to give him to you for anything less than yeah. this." And then you know you can ask that. And, and to be fair, Liverpool, the amount of money they've spent this summer is it 35, 40 million on mm, yeah. Mohamed Salah and that kind of stuff. Yeah. They've got enough money to actually pay town what he's worth. Mm. So, you know, I, and and for someone who basically will know. The system-ish, mm. like a version of their system, I think it would make sense for Liverpool to buy him. And if the money's right, it might make sense for for Town to cash in and for David Wagner and uh, and Dean Oil to go and pick the next Christoph Schindler out of the German second team. <laughs>
0: it's a bit of a weird wife swap situation, that one. I can't. True, say, it, uh, it, is, it, <laughs> it is strange, but I,
1: I can I could see it happening potentially. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't, especially with their defensive issues as well. Yeah, they're awful.
0: I mean, if there's one, if the the one thing that annoys me most about these Klopp and uh, Wagner comparisons is the fact that one of them can coach a defense and one of them can't, and it's not the one that's coaching Liverpool. So if you know, if there's going to be any conversations going forward, it might be you know. Who's the actual better manager out of these two?
1: Uh, they should merge and form the, the Klopp-Wagner trust. And then Klopp can do the, the attacking side of things and we'll get Dave Wagner to do the defensive side of things. I
0: think Hughes is doing quite well. There's Town's assistant, so maybe there's yeah, not true. room here for Klopp. We'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> see. <laughs> um, like, in the 23s, maybe. <laughs> is there a 23s team anywhere? <laughs> uh, no, let's not get into that. <laughs> There's a next question, question five, uh, from Peter Greenlaff. I believe that's pronounced Greenlau, perhaps. What do you? How would you you're go are the for host.
1: It? Yeah, I'll go with whatever you're saying. I'm going for
0: Peter. Peter, <laughs> Peter's question five by Twitter: uh, <laughs> Where has Jonas Lossell gone, and who took his place on Saturday?
1: Oh. I think that's a bit harsh. I th- I do think mm. the the kick was was chuckle brothers yeah it was painful to watch I thought he recovered pretty well to, I think it was more say, Harry
0: Kane's fault for not passing the ball
1: possibly but with the with the form Harry Kane's in for him not to score in that position the keeper's done something right yeah. although he's done something, horrible, <laughs> done something wrong in the wrong first, wrong first Um, he got beaten at his front post for the first one and dodgy
0: uh, kick for the first goal as
1: well dodgy kick for the first one yeah but uh, as I said before Seven games in and your keeper's made, what, one or two mistakes in one game and he's been exceptional otherwise? You know, I, I'd put that down to...
0: The one thing I would say is that, um, like that. I don't know. these mistakes in the Tottenham game are the types of mistakes that the people we were laughing at for saying he was the dodgiest keeper in the Bundesliga were saying that he did. So it's one of those where you'd hope that that's his one-off day because... Yeah one of the best attacking teams in the league are there. And as long as he maintains the standard he has done previously against teams of a similar level to Huddersfield, then he'll be fine. But if this becomes a a theme in his play...
1: Yeah, but I don't think... It's not even worth giving that any airtime at the minute because, because he's been exceptional. If yeah. it happens again, then we can talk about it. But I just think, you know... He's he's been he's been superb, and he, he had a, a wobbly day. We lost four nil anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> let's uh, let's come back to this. You know, if he drops one over the line against Swansea or something like that.
0: If we go into sort of um, an alternate universe, mm-hmm. and for some reason Danny Ward is allowed back on loan,
1: doesn't get in the team above Jonas Lossel.
0: No, and, and Lossel isn't playing. I was going to oh, say. Okay, sorry. He sounds. Defence as good as it has been this year?
1: I think Jonas Lossel has given Town a different dimension in terms of distribution. So I think in terms of being able to play out from the back, it's, it's better this year. Um, Danny Ward made some superb saves last year as well. Jonas Lossel has made some great saves this year. He made some great saves last year. In terms of a goalkeeper, I think you've got two very good ones. I think Jonas Lossel's better. And I think maybe in terms of commanding his area, he's probably slightly better as well. So
0: That's one area that Ward really did struggle with. I remember the one game from last season that uh, did leave me uh, particularly unamused was the Preston away game where they scored the same goal three times and it was Danny Ward's fault each and every time because I had a seat directly behind the goal at at Deepdale and uh, yeah, Danny Ward got an earful for me that evening because he just should have done better. And I think Lossell, you know, kamikaze as he perhaps maybe sometimes um, he would have.
1: I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say he's kamikaze. I think you can say he's confident in his ability with his feet. I wouldn't say he's kamikaze because even even the the miss kick, it was just a miss kick like. Mm. How many times have we seen Premier League keepers? Like, what, well, the, the Birmingham derby, Villa versus Birmingham City, was that
0: 2003? The one where the throw-in went in. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it was just awful. But yeah. you can't really blame him for that because it's, like, he just got it wrong <laughs> <like one> <laughs> So you know, I, you know, I think I think Jens will be absolutely fine and, uh, you know, you say who was in goal that game, well, yeah, he's had an off day, but everyone has an off day every now and again, like, it's just, it's just part of not only football but life.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you on fairness. Um, we've not been asked about uh, Zanka, but if we talk about him now, given that we're talking about the defence,
1: um, Danish defendants as well.
0: Yeah, what what have you made of his sort of uh, him settling into the team? Because I think defensively he be very sound, but there's one or two growing sort of frustrated with how he behaves on the ball and you know he, he gives away one or two free kicks because I think if if Schindler's the, the more cultured of the two he's definitely in the more physical old school you yeah. will just put a boat through you if he needs to
1: yeah but I think that's a good thing I think that's a good foil for both of them I think yeah. they both play off each other it's like good cop bad cop isn't it um what I would say as well is that I think he's probably. I mean, I don't have any experience in the dressing room, but I imagine he's a very good person to have there. He's got a very good relationship with the fans already. Um, the interview where he said, you know, he's, he goes to Marston's chicken and that kind of stuff. Like, it, he just seems to be just a guy who embraces everything about the club, not only the like on the pitch, but actually outside and talking to the fans and that kind of stuff. So, I agree that maybe his distribution hasn't been that great. He likes to try things on the ball, which is great, but not that good when you're in a centre. You're a centre back, and you've got no one around you, and you, you try and chip someone or something like that. So, I think him and Christopher Schindler could form a great partnership. I would say last year, when Heffler first came into the team, it took him a bit of a while to adjust as well with Schindler, but then after that, they were they were dominant. So, I've got high hopes for for that partnership. I think the first podcast we did, we we it was before I think Zanka just signed, and you described them as sort of the the Rolls Royces of centre centre backs. I am still I'm still holding out for that sort of you know cultured two incredible centre backs, and then Zanka, you know. Occasionally putting his foot through
0: <laughs> When needed. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. I think it's, it's probably fair. Um, as we said before, his distribution may be just him trying to overcompensate to, to try and do a little bit too much while he's new in the team to impress the fans and uh, catch a few eyes and, and win yeah. a few fans over, which uh, you can see why. But at the same time, it maybe needs to cut that out a little bit. Uh, especially given his age, he's probably a bit old to be doing that because it, it's something a young centre-back tends to do.
1: True, I think it's maybe just the type of person he is, though. He's quite sort of... Uh, exuberant. Exuberant, and he, I think he feeds off the fans, and yeah. I think he wants to develop that relationship of him feeding off them and them feeding off him sort of thing. So
0: Wasn't he or oh, self-proclaimed or something along the lines of the most hated player in Denmark or something like that. Yeah, they,
1: they had a uh, a hashtag which was which trended in uh, in Denmark. You know, like the US had thanks Obama and yeah. people just like laughing at that. They had thanks Zanka or blame Zanka or something oh, right. like that. Um, so for just like little things like, oh, I left something in the freezer. Oh, thanks Zanka. Something <laughs> hilarious. I, I think he probably plays up to that as well.
0: Yeah. Um, but it's good to have them sort of personalities in the yeah, team. Yeah, Absolutely. Especially international Champions League class defender, yeah. it's not a, a bad thing to have around the place. Um question six comes from Gavin Castle via email. Uh he says, Could there be a potential for another monk Wagner type confrontation when Jose Mourinho is at the John Smith?
1: Oh That is a good question, Gavin. Um It maybe I don't I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> what, you know, you don't know if they've met each other before in the past or that kind of stuff. I think Mourinho's yeah, not
0: a, a stranger to over exuberant no, celebrations. Not, he's not
1: a shrinking violet, is no. he? Um I don't know. I don't think Mourinho I don't think you'll see Mourinho run down the pitch if they score against Huddersfield. Um, and I think that's you know that says something about how other teams, like we've said before, and how the media sees Huddersfield as a team. If if Huddersfield score in the last minute to win the game against Man United, I would not be surprised if you see David <laughs> Doing a slide down the pitch. Um, whether Mourinho will care about that, who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see now. Now that he's mentioned it, I want I want to see it happen.
0: I think it's one of those where they'll either really get on or they'll hate each other. Um, possibly because I think Mourinho has this media image of himself where no, you know, he doesn't get on with anyone. He's sort of. Um, You know, a bit of a curmudgeon and everything, but he seems to have a really good relationship with most managers behind closed doors.
1: Yeah, I think his weirdly, his one of his really good friends as manager is Tony Pulis. Is it? Yeah, they they like is he Jose Mourinho sent Tony Pulis his grandson a Man United shirt for his birth for his Christmas or his birthday or something, right? And they like really get on, which is sort of very odd. Yeah, but awesome. So um, I don't know. I I imagine there's Jose Mourinho the bloke, and then Jose Mourinho, the Manchester United manager who we see on TV most of the time, which probably is the same with most managers. Um, so, yeah. of we'll, suppose we'll you've got
0: to play a bit of a character when you're in front of the media and that you can't yeah, just definitely. be yourself.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: Yeah. It's a bit of an interesting one. What do you make of sort of the managers coming... To the John Smiths, because obviously you get to see them in the, the post match and everything. Is there anyone you particularly excited to see in action? Mourinho's is obviously famous for his his interviews, and Klopp and Wagner will obviously be an interesting one given their closeness. We've seen it before in pre season, but they obviously took that as a bit of a jolly and spent most of the game having a chat between the two yeah. technical areas themselves. Um, is there anyone that sticks out to you?
1: I, I think you know Jurgen Klopp and, and Jose Mourinho are the ones that really stick out. Guardiola. Guardiola. It depends if Town if Town win. I'm really looking forward to seeing him because that interview that he gave last last year, which was very abrupt, and um, you know, if it's one of them, that's going to be very interesting to see. Um, Rolling up in other, his Stan Smiths. Other than that, I'm quite excited. You know, I saw uh, Sean Dyche at Burnley. That was you know reasonably entertaining. Could Tony Pulis as well. Just I like I like managers who just tell it straight. And and Tony Pulis and Sean Dyche are those sort of managers. Um, and I think. David Wagner sort of comes somewhere in between because he says what he thinks, yeah. but then he's not adverse to you know using a metaphor or two as well. So um, no, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall afterwards after the game to see what managers say to each other. I think that's the most interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, Conte will be entertaining
0: thing. as well because he's you know a million miles per hour, and I think you want to see his um, hair plugs up in person.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing him on the touchline rather than, <laughs> than in the interview afterwards, I think, because he, yeah, he's just. Uh Exuberant, isn't
0: he? Yeah, I can imagine that way, in one way, they both kick off in each other's faces because yeah, those are two blokes. The wagging
1: are, finger of Conte in, uh, uh, in Wagner's face.
0: That'll be interesting. But it's, yeah, uh, it's not a, a, a side um, sort of storyline I'd given too much thought of previously, but it'll be nice. I mean, if Town can manage to stay in the Premier League for a few seasons, it'd be good as if, if they could sort of foster some sort of. Derby like game against somebody, yeah. Because there isn't really one there. Burnley's a bit of a forced one. Newcastle's a bit of a forced
1: I'd, one. I'd, well, I'd like to see. I'd like to see him beat Man City. Yeah, we'll Man see City seems goes. to be the closest
0: one. Yeah, because obviously there's memories of the ten one. I think it was.
1: Yeah, and the FA Cup last year as well. So, yeah,
0: we'll see. We'll see. Um, the last one is a, a bit of a, an odd one. It's what an email we had from Liam Allen. There wasn't actually a, a text based email. It was a a audio-based email that <laughs> <laughs> was subject line, the day I almost got arrested for stalking Mel Booth. And for people who aren't aware of Mel Booth, Mel's our boss. He's the sports editor at the Huddersfield Examiner.
1: Local legend.
0: Local legend, as you're about to hear in this audio from Liam Holland. Um But he told us a story essentially when he was a child and stalked Mel Booth, and here it is in all of its audio glory, and we'll discuss it after.
2: Raj and Rory, first of all, thank you very much for the podcast Uh, I've said to you guys before that uh, I need my fix of town chat And that's what we get with you guys, it's my favourite podcast So I just wanted to share with you uh, the time that I got nicked for stalking Mel Booth So back in the old days, uh, in the 80s and stuff uh, Mel Booth was a total legend about town Um, Obviously the main town reporter And one of the things... Um, that uh, sort of added to uh, his uh, general mystique and also his cult hero status about the town was his incredible mullet which he had for many many years um, so I should also just quickly say that uh, Mel Booth had the job that I wanted I was a massive town fan, what I really wanted to do was Captain Town but at some point I realised that that possibly wasn't going to happen so. I decided the next best thing was I wanted Mel Boo's job. I wanted to be the town reporter. So in many ways, guys, you have got my ideal job. So anyway, back to the story. Uh, I was aged about probably about 12, 13, 14. It's just that sort of time when you're allowed to go into town by yourself. So I was uh, walking around about the town with my best friend, Matthew Taylor. And uh, we suddenly saw the unmistakable mullet of Sir Mel Booth. So that was probably the nearest that you were going to get to seeing uh, a celebrity uh, in Huddersfield at that time. Although I did once see Mark Lillis um, and obviously uh, class act, uh, my boyhood hero number seven and my... My dad walked up to him and sort of dragged me over and said, hey, Mark, I bet you eat your vegetables, don't you? And he said, yes, you must eat your vegetables if you want to score goals. Anyway, I digress. We saw uh, Sir Booth's mullet and we probably uh, didn't feel bold enough to go and have a chat with him. So what we decided to do instead was to sort of gently stalk him, I suppose, is what we did. We followed him about the town. We followed him around the town for a bit, um, probably for about 10, 15 minutes. Then eventually he was walking uh, into the multi-story car park. It was the multi-story car park that used to be opposite the old co-op. I'm not sure if it's still there as I don't live in Huddersfield anymore and I've not been to that part of town for a while. So anyway, me and my friend followed him into the multi-story car park. So Mel was obviously going to get uh, his car so uh, we decided to prolong the stalking for a little bit. We decided that we would wait at the exit where the cars came out, so we could get one last glimpse of Mel as he drove out. So we, we looked into the car park to see if we could see him going. At that point, we got a tap on our shoulders. What are you doing, lads? It was the old Bill, that's right. It was C- CID and they told us, we've been following around for a bit. You've been acting very suspiciously. What have you been up to? anyway when we told them they seemed rather bemused we told them uh, well we've been following around uh, Mel Booth and they're like what you want to do that for and we're like well he's the town reporter and it would seem that the um, the police officers did not know who Mel Booth was uh, probably the only people in Ottersfield actually and um, they were very very bemused so to cut a long story short, that was the day that we, uh, me and my friend Matthew Taylor, got into trouble with the police for stalking Mel Booth. What I would say, guys, is you are excellent at town reporters, but if you want really to uh, write your name into local folklore, as Mel Booth uh, has done, then you really need to grow the mullets. So I would uh, suggest very strongly that you take a look at some of those old pictures and uh, work on those mullets.
0: Now you've heard the the story from <laughs> Liam Holland, um, you can imagine when we opened that email this morning and played it to Mel of his face, when he obviously had never heard anything of the like, and sort of these two kids following around Huddersfield Town Centre and having the police stalk them and sort of give them a telling off for, for following around. It was a an interesting one for us to listen to.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think I think if he still had the mullet now, I'd probably it <laughs> around as well. So, yeah. I
0: think the editor of the paper Wayne came over and after we played him the audio and said that he thinks it should be a prerequisite now for anyone on the sports desk to <laughs> yeah. I think the resignation
1: would in pretty quick after that.
0: Yeah, if you um <laughs> if you actually Google Mel Booth and his hair and examiner and whatnot, then the mullet does come up on Google images if you if you're not familiar with it, mean you weren't as familiar with it as others have been because we've never seen it previously.
1: Maybe, you know, that town did Yorkshire Day last time. Maybe mm. we could do Mel Booth Day and everyone turns up to the stadium with the... The mullet. With the mullet. Yeah. How good would that thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe just in the office for us too. Yeah. I think we'd get told off in sacked, but uh, yeah, thank you very much, Liam, for going through the effort of recording that and sending it in, you, you did make us chuckle and sort
1: of... Highlight the day, Yeah, for sure. Um, I,
0: I've never seen Mel speeches previously, <laughs> um, and that was the first time, I think he was just bemused, uh, bless him, but uh, we were going to try and get him in on the podcast to, to discuss it with, but he's gone home, uh, I think, to lock his windows and make sure there's no... Yeah. Liam's not outside or in his backyard. And, I
1: think I think he's going past the lawyer's office to get yeah, a restraining yeah. order, isn't
0: yeah. it? Yeah, what's the statute of limitations <laughs> on this sort of thing? But no, thank you very much, Liam, for that. That's... Um, Was done for today i think that's a fairly successful mailbag
1: yeah i really enjoyed it yeah so if we if
0: you let us know on twitter and facebook and the like whether or not this is a format that you've enjoyed obviously feel free to send us in questions for normal podcasts because we do try and get through one or two towards the end of episodes but that's a bit of a watered-down version of what this has been um but yeah, I've enjoyed myself as well. Obviously you can listen to old episodes on iTunes and Audio Boom. If you subscribe on those formats then you don't miss an episode. Uh, it drops in as if you've sort of pressed series link on Sky Record essentially. Um if you leave us five star reviews and comments on iTunes, apparently that does wonders for our Google rankings and iTunes rankings and whatever that means. Uh, we don't really know, but we get told to say these things. So we do. <laughs> um, you do. I do, yeah. <laughs> uh, I get sent to London to learn about these things. <laughs> we've got the BA52 offer. Yes. Um We've told it millions of times. You yeah. save £24, just pay for postage, which is like six quid.
1: You can also get £10 off your second order as well. So Does that, that mean you've made a second order? <laughs> yeah, second box coming this week, mate? Of yeah. course.
0: Yeah, so as you can see, it's it's helped Rory's functioning alcoholism <laughs> continue for a budget price, so if you two are in that camp, then uh, then feel free to continue with him, but uh, we'll be back on Monday, uh, where we'll start falling back into the usual line of news and things.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I ma- well I
0: imagine... We've got plenty of internationals to catch up on stuff. Yes. We've just watched Aaron Moy play Syria, but we've not talked about that because obviously we want to wait for the second leg to discuss that. Beam off of an international fixture. That's it. Excellent. So, Rory, I will speak to you on Monday. Ja,
2: yep, see you then. Ik vind een bundel van 2GB stiekem meer dan genoeg. Niet omdat het moet. Nu, 2GB data met een 0-minuten bel- en sms-bundel voor maar 9 euro per maand. Omdat
1: het kan. Check Tele2.nl voor de beste deal voor jou.
2: Niet